Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you like me and thought one day, I want to start a podcast? Well, it's easy. All you do is go to Anchor FM and sign up for free. Then all you do is you can record from your computer or your phone. And next thing you know, all you do is upload your episode. And then like magic, Anchor just goes and releases it everywhere to Apple, to Spotify. You name it, it releases it there. It's easy. It's simple. It's fun to use. And like me, I'm not very technical oriented. Again, easy. Not like the rapper, but it's easy. If you get what I mean. So again, go to Anchor FM, sign up. And uh, start being a content or podcast creator today. Welcome back to another episode of My Third Eye. Tonight, I am honored to have my guest the North American Indian Sasquatch investigator and host of Sasquatch Island, Thomas Seawood. Thomas grabs you right away as he jumps into his experience, knowledge, beliefs, perspectives about the other tribe. Sasquatch is known as, now, I might butcher this a little bit, Junaqua, by his Kwakwakiwak tribe from northern Vancouver Island, Canada. And all of North American Indian tribes, they are one of the closest ties to Sasquatch. We'll smile and laugh as Thomas articulates with passion in his experience with Sasquatch. Having been a commercial grizzly bear hunting guide, commercial fisherman, flying the entire British Columbia coast for a lifetime, and being the modern-day Indian bushman living in a world of Sasquatch, few can compare. It was a blast listening to Thomas for almost two hours, and I know you will enjoy his unique uh, perspective on Sasquatch. It, it, it goes so, so well. Um, I, I could talk to Tom for, for hours and hours and hours, and, he, and we might do something special on the sidelines. Uh, we'll see what comes. Uh, Thomas is known for being on a very famous podcast, uh, the podcast I first got into when discovering podcasts, and that's Sasquatch Chronicles with Wes Gerber. Um, if you don't know of him, I'm sure you'll want to get to know more about this crazy Sasquatch investigator. I do know you will be hooked just like I was from, from the first time and second time and third time I've ever listened to any of his interviews. Um, be sure to follow him on Facebook. Uh, you can search Sasquatch Island. It's a, it's a group. Uh, I've, I've followed it since the day I've, I've you know, heard of Tom. I'd also like to give a little shout out to uh, Davey Wavy from Red Pill Cartel. I believe we're going to be doing an upcoming episode together, and he's uh, he's legit. Go go check him out. Uh, talks about some of the same stuff that this podcast talks about. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, 
any information that you think might be helpful to, to the listeners, email me at mythirdeyepod at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at mythirdeyepodcast. You know, hit me up, DM me, I'll, I'll DM you back, and follow me. Uh, you can join our little Telegram chat. It's t.me forward slash mythirdeyepodcastchat. Um, other than that, just enjoy the show. It was a very, it was a very fun time. Uh, it made two hours seem like two minutes with, with this interview. And, and you'll see why right out the gate. It, 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 it was a blast. I loved it. I hope you guys love it. I know you guys will love it. And other than that, just sit back, chill, and enjoy the show. And welcome to another episode of My Third Eye. Tonight I have uh, Tom Seward on from vancouver island and uh we're going to talk a little bit about first nations experience with sasquatch gaelic hasla greetings my name's tom seawood i'm a member of the kwakwakiwak tribe from northern vancouver island british columbia i'm also half cree from the central plains of canada saskatchewan my mother's full-blooded cree but i was raised born and raised in alert bay which is just off northeastern vancouver island and it's it's a very famous island because of all of the totem poles that are found there. The burial ground is just filled with poles carved, which we call memorial poles. Now, a pole, when a chief dies, about three years after his death, they'll raise a, what you guys call a totem pole, but we call it a memorial pole. And it's crests from his family that are carved into a log that tell a story about that chief and his family and they raise it up and they have a big potlatch a big ceremony to honor him and pass his chieftainship on to the next heir to the throne of chieftainship so it's been like that in my native tribe for thousands of years and when I was a young boy I used to be afraid to walk by the graveyard if it was getting towards the end of the day nighttime because uh, the base of those big memorial poles for some of the great chieftains of old were carved chonacha, the wild woman of the woods. You saw these big carved humanoid looking figures at the base with outstretched arms and they had sleepy eyes and puckered lips and large breasts and you knew it was chonacha. Chonacha is the kwakwakiwak word in our language of Kwakola, it's for Sasquatch, Bigfoot. But back when I was a young boy, I didn't know that. To me, it was just a wild woman in the woods that was always watching children, and she wasn't allowed to touch us. But if we misbehaved and we acted up and we pulled the temper tantrum or didn't do our chores or were out and after dark, which is why I didn't want to walk by that graveyard one evening because it was getting dark because that's when Junacha can come and grab the misbehaving child, rub spruce sap like pitch in their eyes so they can't see, they're blind. And then she throws them in a basket on her back or in some family stories in a sack, like a potato sack woven from cedar bark fibers. And she'll carry you deep into the forest to her invisible home. And that's where she boils up the bad children and eats them. So Sasquatch, I guess you could say, was my boogeyman as a child. And when I had my children, I made sure I told them, you behave yourself. You look behind you. Look over there. Look over there. Tonacha, the Sasquatch is watching you. And she's going to come get you if you misbehave. 
So that's where I first learned about this wild woman of the woods. We have a male part too, and you don't see it very often because the male mask of the Jonah, the Sasquatch, is only seen in potlatch when it's put on the face of a man who has filled his obligations to be the next chieftain. So in other words, he's got the pole carved, he's held a potlatch, he's acquired money to purchase things, to give out his gifts. He's worked with his family to make those gifts, buy those gifts, and all the food everyone's going to eat, and all of the regalia, all the masks that need to be touched up or else made, the regalia, the, the outfits that go with the mask learning the songs, learning the speeches he has to give. So when he's done all of his obligation to be the next chief, the helicom, the chief speaker, will put that male Sasquatch mask on his face and hold it and tell everyone in the big house, the ceremonial building that we have this celebration of potlatch, this man has done all of his obligations to be the next chieftain. Does anyone here contest him being the next clan territorial chief? And of course, no one contests because he's done his role, his obligations. And that's what they call, I think it's Junachwis or something like that, the name. But it means that he's been touched by the Junacha and now he can become the next chief. So the Kwakwakiwak people, our highest rank crest is the Junacha, the Sasquatch. And all of our communities have memorial poles and welcoming poles and other art depicting Jonacha, and every family has a crest of the Jonacha that they bring to life and dance and song during their celebrations of potlatch by their family chief. So of all of the North American Indian tribes that I've interacted with and read about, the Kwakwakiwak people have the greatest tie to the Sasquatches. They have that really close mesh. Uh, other tribes, of course, have other stories and beliefs. My people, it's the highest rank crest. It's the ogres of the forest, so to speak, the male and female Sasquatch. Or we refer to them as the other tribe. And then you hear the stories that have been translated of old from the first explorers and biographers, I guess, people that record people's culture and heritage. They would translate it. And it would be seen that Sasquatch, to my tribe and others, was referred to as the cannibal of the woods, the cannibal of the forest, the cannibal of the mountains. And then, of course, we hear stories about and names of Sasquatch throughout North America of the mountain devils and things like that. But all the tribes yeah. in North America refer to the Sasquatch as the other tribe. And then, of course, some that refer to them as cannibal. So. If you look at that, you now know what a Sasquatch is. It's a human. A lot of people go, well, how can that be? And I'm like, well, look at your ancestors. You said that came off the, the Mayflower. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. when they stepped foot in North America, they saw my ancestors with reddish skin look different. And the Mayflower and other ships would go to Africa and they would find people that were black. They would go to Australia mm -hmm. and find dark people with you know the aborigines and then you look at asia with the asian looking people and then you look at the nordic people with their fair skin and blue eyes blonde hair there's a diverse range of humans there's even a human in south africa the bush people 
where apparently the females above their genitalia have a flap of skin. What it's for, the scientists can't say, but it's an evolutionary adaption to a human form to fit in its environment, as do the Himalayan and the Andean people who have larger lung capacity because they live so high up. And then we have the Inuit and other people in the Arctic that have larger livers because they consume so much oil in the foods they eat, whale and seal and walrus. So there's the adaptions to evolution to make different type of humans. Well, that's what a Sasquatch is. And I firmly believe through my investigations and a lot of my investigations since I was a kid, because I was known as Tommy 10,000 questions, because I was always asking why, (laughs) when, where, how come? Well, I was on commercial fish boats from 10 years old and up, traveling the entire British Columbia coast. And then when I got out of school, I was a full-time commercial fisherman, sometimes 10 months of the year traveling the entire coast. So if I was with other Indians or other fishermen from other regions of the coast, or I was going into these coastal communities that very few people ever get to see, I was always Tommy 10,000 questions. What do you know about Sasquatch? And I would hear the stories from different tribes and everything. And and when I was young, I went to the movies and I watched uh, Leonard Nimoy movie where he narrated about Sasquatches and the Loch Ness Monster. Well, I walked out of that movie theater going, wow, I gotta go to the library and get Sasquatch books. And of course, I was introduced to John Green and Renee DeHinden and Peter Byrne and Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin and Grover Krantz. And I was really intrigued by these other tribe members out there. And because all of the, because my legends speak of it, and all the potlatches I went to and still go to, and you see that regalia of a Sasquatch being brought to life and dance and song and the carvings. I became really intrigued by Sasquatch. And then now I remember back in 1991, I had a pretty famous sighting because it made it into Dr. John Bindernagel's book. Oh, that's, I love John, Dr. John Thernagel. It's a shame that he has passed away. God oh, yeah. Him. Well, me and him became good friends in 1991. And that awesome. was my teacher up until his death. And my good buddy, dear friend. And him and I first got together. We both agreed, um, I guess you could say agreed, that Sasquatch was possibly on the evolutionary tree of bipedal creatures as another branch which was possibly the branch of the gigant- of Gigantopithecus blackie, the large gorilla that they know was walking around, well, still is in the Himalayas in Asia. But that's what we believe Sasquatch was. But it wasn't until I started, after 1991 era was the time when I finished school in uh, uh, 1984, commercial fished, and then I went into the bush and started working in the tourism industry when I wasn't fishing. And uh, building logging roads and uh, just hanging out in bush. I love bush. And that's when I started to have encounters. Nothing serious until 1991 when I saw two of them in the spotlight off my commercial fish boat on a beach at night. When I lit them up, there was a big male and a big female. Made it in the Dr. John Bindernagel's book with that sighting. And then I really became intrigued by them. But then... Uh, later on when I was because I became a hunting guide specializing in grizzly bear hunts and black bears I was going into regions of British Columbia that you know 
very few people go, especially during hunting season. No one's out there, you know, and, you know, things would happen and that was unexplainable, you know, branch bouncing, something thrown at you, a dead tree falling down when there's no wind, but it happened three times in the same area and within a five day period that we'd smelled something real bad as well. And that's when I started to, you know, hmm, there's a lot more of them out here than people think. And then when I lived in Bush, I used to go to bed at night, plugging my ears. La, 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 la. I don't hear that. I don't hear that. Go to sleep. When you'd hear them roaring and screaming and yelling and whooping. Yeah, that would freak me out a little bit. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> As a oh, yeah. Guy, yeah, that, yeah. No, I'd probably do the same thing. No, no. I'm not listening to this. No. No. no yeah, sure. And then you see the rock carvings and the called petroglyphs and then the pictographs which are the paintings and you see the your ancestors hundreds thousands of years ago were depicting these big hairy buggers out there in the bush so well there's it was really talk here in is it uh arizona region where they they actually went to to war with the the red-headed giants like they yeah arizona yeah Lovelock Cave area. Yep. And one day they just decided, hey, we had enough. And they went to war and apparently, you know, killed them and, and took them out. But I mean, it's a shame. But, you know, there's so many stories and of, of First Nations, Native Americans, and indigenous people all over the world, like you were saying, all have similar stories and beliefs into this creature oh yeah yeah no i got some books upstairs here and uh you know they're out of print in the 1920s and they're first nations accounts and legends of sasquatch throughout the entire british columbia coast actually from washington right on up to alaska some of the books i have that are out of print man it's something when you read those you know how tied in they were to the sasquatch that's amazing because, I mean, and back then, the the only way to spread information was either, a, you know, write a book, put it in maybe a local newspaper. It might gain some traction. But mainly it was word of mouth. And, you know, you'd have explorers coming out, you know, searching new land. And I think even, was it Theodore Roosevelt? He had an encounter. Talk, talk, yeah, talked about seeing him when he, he was exploring the... Yep. Lewis and Clark, mm-hmm. Eve Erickson, when he came here from uh, Norway. Yeah. Viking. Now, you do know? you think, uh, is it Meriwether Lewis that, that died on that trip? Or was it Clark? Afterwards. Lewis, I think it was. Yes. Do you think he was killed by Sasquatch? Because there's no real, they, they, in the conspiracy realm, there there's a lot out there that, you know, people they they found something that they weren't supposed to they came across something that they weren't supposed to or maybe they came across the family of sasquatch that just said no you, you ain't going any and you, you ain't no you're done oh it's i don't know i i not too up on the history of uh, lewis and clark how they died i do know um you know i read the book sacagawea that's about as much as i went into <laughs> lewis and clark but yeah it's See, I spent a good part of my lifetime in Bush. I had a cousin slash friend 
and uh, he had uh, fetal alcohol syndrome, Indian guy. And uh, he used to like going for walkabouts. So him, but he liked going up above the tree line in the alpines. So usually in, you know, if we did that during late, early summer through to early fall, you know, that window of opportunity when the snows aren't up there and it's not too cold, but we'd go up there for weeks sometimes, just walking about, going down one mountain, cross a river, up another mountain, punch through the tree line and in the alpines of a different area. And we had a lot of encounters up there where, you know, we knew they were there. We, I always packed the 12 gauge or 30, 30, he would pack a rifle as well. We had big knife on our side and what each of us had a small ax. So, you know, Sasquatches aren't stupid. You know, they're not like a mouthy little chihuahua type human that goes into a commercial fisherman Indian bar and starts lipping out, calling us down. Next thing you know, he's pounded into a pulp. Right. You know, Sasquatches aren't stupid like us humans. They have well-developed frontal lobes more so than most humans. So they evaluate because that's nature's code. You know, grizzly bears don't just attack one another. They'll posture and do their antics to bluff each other, hopefully so that they don't have to go to blows. Sasquatch, I find the same way. And that's why they're referred to by some of the native tribes here in the Pacific Northwest as the watcher. Because the Sasquatch will pull a branch down and look at you. And they'll evaluate you. And if they notice you're what I call a bush dancer, means you're <clears throat> comfortable in the forest. You're not looking where each step, you're looking around, up, behind you, sideways. You're moving like the breeze through the bushes and the branches and the trees and the grasses and shrubs and the, over the rocks and around them. And when it evaluates you as a bush dancer, <clears throat> They know it's not in their best interest to come interfere with you. And also, you're at home in their environment, which is your environment, the bush world. And that's why you, when you talk to someone who's adamantly against Sasquatch existing, because I'm a logger, I'm a trapper, I'm a prospector, I'm a mushroom picker, I'm a forest surveyor, I'm always in the bush, and I've never seen a Sasquatch. You ask them, you ever notice that branch bouncing? And you turn and look, and there's the branch bouncing. There's no bird, there's no bear cub, cougar cub, there's no raccoon, no big fat squirrel. You ever notice that? Yeah. But Sasquatch brought the branch down, was looking at you, realized that you are comfortable in the bush, you're a bush dancer. So it pulled the branch down even further and let it go. And as the branch popped up and bounced, it turned and walked away. And what it's telling you with the bouncing branch is, I'm here too. I saw you. I'm going to let you go about your business. I'm going to go about mine. Well, Think of it, Tom. Yeah. I've seen that a few times. And one forest surveyor said, Jesus, I've seen that over 10, 15 times. That's happened to me. And I oh, said, yeah, wow. that's why you never see Sasquatches. You're a bush dancer. It's like two big grizzes coming together. It's not in your best interest to go into blows. They get injured. They die, possibly. And that's yeah, the same yeah. with a Sasquatch. They're evaluating you. That makes sense because I I do go out, I forage for mushrooms, I I practice archery hunting, not as much as I, I used to, but I also, I'm not an expert, but I'm, I'm a very good tracker for, for you know, the, the creatures in my area, you know, squirrel, fox, turkey, white-tailed deer, and so on. So I'm, 
looking usually at the ground and you know straight in front of me looking around i'll have to keep an, an eye out for for that because i may have saw that before but just yeah. disregarded it just yeah like, eh, okay whatever a bird just took off you know not not thinking more in depth on that could have been a watcher watching me oh yeah and then you got to factor in what's it doing showing you respect and that's why i'm zero kill i will never hunt the sasquatch no and then you know if i you know i go out and investigate yeah that's not hunting them with a rifle i'll never do that but you always show them respect they throw rocks at you don't throw a rock back they shake a tree don't shake a tree and by all means you know don't do like bfro you know what bfro stands for right Bang Forest Research Organization. They're always tree knocking. Yeah. Don't tree knock because when a Sasquatch knocks on a tree, he's telling you, stop, turn around, human. I don't want you up here. I'm here right now. So we're taught as native people to turn 180 and get out of there. Okay. So okay. we don't push that boundary. You push that boundary, you're disrespecting Sasquatch. You might be in one of Pallady's new books there. Missing yeah, 411 man. volume 19 or something. Yeah, so you got to be careful with that and respect. So Sasquatches want respect. You have to give them respect back. And don't ever think of hunting them. It's so wrong. It's murder. You're killing another human anyway. Right. And, you know, a lot of people throw in that. But we need conclusive proof of the existence of Sasquatch. We need a body. No, we don't. What we do need is what Diane Fossey and Jane Goodall taught us to interact with a primate, with a relic humanoid, with another form of human. We need to get that interaction like every tribe has had in history. They're even still trying to interact with some of the tribes in the Amazon rainforest. And India has made it that you can't go to this island cluster in the Indian Ocean in in their territory because there's a wild tribe there. They don't want any interaction. And why would you? Why would you want to spread COVID and smallpox and tuberculosis to this tribe that's living on an island? Sasquatch, on the other hand, we're already getting close to them. They're getting close to us. So the next step is to get that human-Sasquatch interaction. Someone might be on there going, oh, but I read about so-and-so. I heard a podcast about this family in Kentucky interacting with Sasquatch for generations. Bullshit. <laughs> Joe, where's the video? Where's the yeah, pitch? Yeah. Where's their big hair samples when you brush their arm or their hair? You know? So, you know, in this day and age of materialism and greed that keeps us going as a species nowadays, you know, up here we just had the massive floods in British Columbia and northern Washington state. And Basically, bridges and highways and railways are just nuked from that great flood in British Columbia, where people are going in the last since Sunday, Monday, panic buying food and gasoline. And we're running out of all these things because they can't get the trucks and the trains in. They have to divert them through the United States and up through the, uh, what do you call, British Columbia border crossing. Because mm-hmm. we can't access Canada on our highways and railways right now. But greed. People are so greedy and so panicked. They don't respect their fellow humans. They run in and buy a shopping cart full of food when they should have just bought one item of each, but no, they got 10 of each, you know? So that's the human psyche. So when I hear people saying, oh, there's, I'm interacting with Sasquatch and uh, things like that. I just say, oh, you're so full of bunk. Your eyes are brown. (laughs) 
come on now. Anyone in this day and age will take a video with a cell phone and capitalize on it and be driving the F-350 brand new three and a half inch lift kit with chrome triple roll bar and bumpers. Right. Top of the line stereo <laughs> system. Like, don't give it a break. You know, humans are, think, you know, just too greedy. So there's always, if there's an interaction, there'll be video in it. And that's what we need to sit there and have an interaction. And we're trying that in, uh, with uh, one of my investigating teams out of uh, Omaha Indian Reservation, my Omaha tribe member friend and fellow Sasquatch Island uh, investigator, he's trying to get that interaction so he can take that cell phone and videotape their teeth as they're eating when he gives them food or if he can look at their palms and see the, like me, I got these age spots starting to come now because I'm 56 and maybe my liver's going because I drink too much beer and wine. But regardless, you're going to have something on your skin that you can videotape or your dentures or the movement of your eyes with the pupil dilating and so forth that those specialists with capital D small R period before their name and their area of expertise can say, you see the, way the fingernails look it's showing they have iron deficiency see how they have black blotches on their hands that looks like an older one because of the white hair and the pupils and so forth so that's what we need to get conclusive proof of a sasquatch you know is that video interaction and not only that how many more witnesses i mean sasquatch chronicles is 800 and some episodes now i mean that's 800 people just alone on his podcast of people and that's just the public podcast that he 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 releases that have come forward to to tell their encounter with nothing but being ridiculed or or made fun of to gain they're not gaining you know fame or fortune out of telling their story yet people want to want to say oh they're full of shit and this and that well what what makes you think they are full of shit when they're telling you in detail exactly what they saw and then you have other people like you were just saying wanting to integrate into to a family of them and and try and record like you know features of of their body like you said earlier you don't need to kill one we already have a study not professionally going but going in a sense where it needs to go yeah you know it's it's then we got the government suppression you know you look at mm-hmm. argentina they have that giant human skeleton in their museum now yet you don't see that on mainstream news no you, know, you see a little bit out of social media we know the smithsonian institution had giant skeleton remains uh, the one black and white photograph that's from i guess late 1800s from the smithsonian institution is this giant mummified partially mummified human form in a crate standing up by these two gentlemen from the museum but what you do is you look at the filtrum the distance between the upper lip and the bottom of the nose so looking at you and you looking at me, we have a filtrum area. You know, it's not even two fingers, but a finger and a bit right. width distance. But when you look at a Sasquatch, it looks, it's very pronounced, like three or four fingers deep that distance. So that's one of the first things I always look at 
and ask and questions when I do interview um, interviewing someone who had an encounter is, you know, what did the face look like? And or look at drawings or things like that or pictures. And that's the main one. And you see pictures on the internet. There's no pronounced philtrum. As Dr. John Brindernagel taught me, when in doubt, throw it out. It's bunk. Mm-hmm. And that Smithsonian mummy has a very pronounced philtrum. It even has the... I can't remember what they call the ridges on the eyebrows, but it has those as well. So to me, that was a mummified Sasquatch, possibly. Now, the Lovelock Cave Indians, the stories are they were giant, red-haired, hairy people. Sasquatches. Giant human bones have been found. Uh, There's a leg bone that's, uh, I think, in North America. It's been studied. It's a human. And, you know, so, you know, when you look at the pictures of uh, Neanderthal and, you know, you see it with white skin and big brow ridges and that pronounced philtrum and projecting sloping forehead. Mm-hmm. looks like a Neanderthal. Yeah. Yeah. looks like one of your ancestors, Nordic, because right. it's what people do. And, you know, we've accustomed to that's what a Neanderthal looks like. But some of the someone took a Neanderthal and made it hairy. Looks like a Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. And if you take uh, um, dinosaurs, for example, you know we all believe dinosaurs, you know, look like our reptiles of this modern era in the world. But then all of a sudden, some fossils came out, and they said, "Wait a second, there. This this species of dinosaur strain had feathers." Yeah, you know, and little dinosaurs in my backyard—they're called chickens. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's what we perceive sasquatch to be you know a lot of people you know talk about the giants of the past you know it's in the bible david and goliath mm-hmm. you know but you know who's to say that you know it wasn't recorded but you know maybe goliath is pretty hairy we don't know yeah and you know now we get into the whole thing that tom seawood's bringing to light is what is Sasquatch? Well, I believe it's a human. And that's why when we hear about DNA, it's always contaminated by human, more human, has human chromosomes. They're humans. And I think what happened, according to the native legends and laws and stories, now you got to remember, being an Indian for 56 years, you may as well say I have a PhD equivalent on knowledge of being an Indian. Because I've been an Indian for 50 years, practicing every day and every breath. Well, when you look at our culture and you look at our stories, we have stories that have been great flood and so forth. And, you know, when you put everything together, I think what happened thousands of years ago was Chief and his wife were sitting there with their family and they were talking. And what they said is, this is wrong. The stories tell us that we're more in tune with nature. We didn't have these great celebrations of potlatch or powwow. We didn't live in these 90-degree corner big houses or these intricate longhouses or pit houses or teepees. We were, you know, basically living in earth houses, branches and boughs and moving onwards. And we know from the fossil record, people were living in uh, mammoth bone and tusk 
structures throughout North America thousands of years ago when the mammoths were here. So I think some of the, as society, as we say, advanced and progressed, I think it regressed because all of a sudden they're getting into greed, warfare, envy, jealousy, backstabbing, dragging each other down, killing each other, murdering each other. And I think the chief and wife talked with their family in numerous tribes and said, this is BS. We can't live like this. This is so against the creator's code. Mm -hmm. So me and your mom are going to leave and go into the forest, live more in tune with the environment, basically being a hippie. (laughs) And whoever wants to come with us should come with us as well. And I think those family groups that went back in and not regress to tribalism, living off the land and hunter gathering again, and not have an advanced culture and society tier structures, nature took care of them. Well, mm-hmm. made them bigger, more robust, hairier because they weren't wearing clothes as much or they weren't manufacturing as much. So they became hairier. And as they got bigger and more in tune with nature, all of a sudden they wanted to eat. So they go to the shellfish beach or the berry patch or go after the young animals. And all of a sudden, the hairless humans see them. And the hairless humans have weapons. They have fire. They have mass because they're in a family group. And they attack the other hairy humans. And as you said, we know from pictographs that the Sasquatches and humans warred. We know from Lovelock Cave and other oral histories and written histories that the humans and Sasquatches warred at one time. And I think when that was taking place, the Sasquatches said, you know, we should harvest more by night. We don't have fire anyway. But, and as they did that, nature's code that dictated they get bigger and hairier. Now evolution gives them the nocturnal vision. That's why their eyes reflect. And if evolution can change in the human species, a larger lung capacity because of elevation where people live, a larger liver because of the amount of oils they eat and consume in their diets. Well, cannot a human evolve to be bigger, hairier, and nocturnal vision? We know pigs and dogs go feral real quick. And I believe humans can too, because I went feral. I, in my past, had some trauma <laughs> it was a girlfriend who split up with me uh our irs in canada called uh, revenue canada sent me a hundred and seventy thousand dollar bill Ooh. and i won't get into why but i was a commercial fisherman i had a corrupt bookkeeper but anyway i got screwed for a hundred and seventy thousand no way to pay it so i just walked away from the concrete and went into the bush i was in there for nine years and you know i'd come out for partying and clothes and mcdonald's and family functions but i stayed in bush most of the time and there was times that i was away in bush for weeks at a time where i went even more feral where one time i was out of smokes and coffee and i could hear people's voices so i walked to the timber down the mountain and i come to a top of a logging area but these were a forest crew working and uh, they were having a lunch break, smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee, and eating sandwiches. And I pulled a branch down and looked and smelled and boy, I could go for a cigarette. Boy, I could go for a coffee. But then all I kept thinking about was, ah, I don't want to be around bloody humans. 
So I just let the branch come up quietly and I turned and I walked away. Did without cigarettes and coffee. So I know what it's like to go feral. I know what it's like to have that wildness and tie to nature. And I know what it's like to despise, hate, loathe, and stay away from hairless humans as much as possible. Because that's why I lived in Bush for decades. I really don't like most humans. (laughs) I'm kind of there with you myself. If I could just scurry off into the, to the, into the mountains and just live off nature and build a hut and be away. I'd love it. Yeah. But you know, it brings into like, you know, a lot of guys get me on their podcast because I have different perspectives on Sasquatch as the listeners are finding out right now. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, for example, um, the Omaha Indian tribe, Uh, Lucas White is my investigator down there for Sasquatch Island. Now, Sasquatch Island is my Facebook group, my website. I wear the clothing with Sasquatch Island. What it refers to as North America is called Turtle Island by the native tribes prior to contact and afterwards because it looks like a turtle from space. Not getting into that. That's UFO stuff. But anyway, North America is called Turtle Island. I call it Sasquatch Island because everyone, native and non-native that are on North America, or even some people who've come to visit it from time to time, run into these big hair-covered Sasquatches. That's why I call it Sasquatch Island. And Lucas is one of my investigators. I went there a few times to Omaha, and uh, I saw two Sasquatches in a Fleur Scout 2 at night at about 100 yards, a big male and a pregnant female with a very pronounced pregnant belly and they had a hanglet like a what you see a neanderthal or yeah. cro-magnon and they had a real big brow ridge and they're just loping along and they kind of look inbred okay and when you go to google earth now and you blow up the omaha indian reservation you're going to see that it's a lot of hardwood forest in the south half of omaha indian reservation but surrounding it outside of the Indian Reserve is nothing but farm fields. The first farmers that got there cleared out all the hardwood forest. And mm-hmm. still, you know, it's the breadbasket of the U.S. area. And because of that, the Sasquatches in the Omaha Indian Reserve are in an enclave, like in a central park, so to speak. And there's inbreeding going on, I think. And that's why... Of the Sasquatches I've seen, and I've seen them over a dozen times here up in the Vancouver Island area. And I've been close. I've been, you know, eight feet away from one. And I know what they look like in my region. But the ones that I saw in Omaha really had that deliverance type inbred look. And even how they walked didn't seem Sasquatchy like I've seen in the Pacific Northwest. So, but for people that, you know, are listening, if you want, if you're in the Midwest or whatever area that's called where Omaha is, um, Nebraska, you know, Lucas does expeditions. I do expeditions, Washington State and up in Vancouver Island. You know, I always say if, you know, best way to find your Sasquatch is maybe do like Lewis and Clark and every other explorer that came to Turtle Island, AKA Sasquatch Island, hire an Indian, be Mm -hmm. smarter, go charter an Indian, you know, and that's what I do. I did it for grizzly bears and black bears and other animals and got some people, some big 
trophy animals that made record books. Well, they were smart. They hired an Indian to be their guide. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm just guiding people to see Sasquatch. You know, you, you say that, and we, we talked a little bit before, and I told you I archery hunt. Um, I, I archery hunt in a way the Native Americans used to archery hunt. They, they'd walk a little bit into the wind. They'd stop. They'd check their surroundings, wait, listen, look, walk a little bit, and continue and continue. Where white man, such as myself, They'll get up in a tree stand, sit there, da-da-da-da-da, and hope for a deer to walk by. I've had more luck walking on the ground quietly than most people in tree stands ever have. And there's oh, a yeah. reason for that, because the, the method that I try to practice has been tried and true for thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, you know, hunting's hunting. You always tell we have a saying here in the Pacific Northwest. You always tell a real hunter they don't wear hiking boots, no running shoes. Yeah, that's just like me. I always in soft soled running shoes. I'll go and bend the, the shoes. And then the other one is um, try not to have bright colors. You know, yeah. like I, I remember when I first was a hunting guide in Real Tree. The guys who had Real Tree were uh, sponsoring. Uh, video production company were doing these hunting videos and they come out and you get me a big old bear tom and i'll give you these camel pants with real tree i'm like yeah okay that night oh i got nice pants next day i got the jacket then the vest the hat and getting their animals one after another and, and i'll always remember when i was standing there one time and we we're supposed to be to, i put a sock them to a big bear and they're doing their filming and everything they look turn around look at me and i'm making gestures by a tree and they go, what are you doing i said can you see me said, really your camel and i said nor can the bear <laughs> but uh you know i'd wear camel and come out and you know people look at me you in the army no i'm a hunting guy you know because they never saw in canada they never saw a camel you know other than the army guys oh wow yeah that's one thing i love about archery hunting especially down here in the states is you don't have to wear orange or bright colors. You know, it, it, you're camouflage. You you do everything. I, I mean, I even went out and bought a ghillie suit just so I could, you know, blend in with, with, with the bush and the brush and, you know, shrubs or whatever's around me and get into the thickest stuff because that's obviously where white-tailed deer are going to go run and hide is in, in the thick stuff because they're, you feel protected. You're surrounded by a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So, why not go there? I know other hunters aren't going to go there because they want to just sit in a tree all day or sit here and have five guys w walk a ridge line and what the guy at the end hoping, you know, all these highly adrenalized deer come running at them and the meat's already spoiled by that. That don't I don't I don't get why they want to shoot it, but they do. And then their meat tastes like shit. Yeah. No, is what do you call it? Bush is bush, but, uh, you know, a lot of people go to bush and wear camel and they think they're all that and more. Yeah. I just shake my head. Number one, if you're a Sasquatch investigator, um, don't wear camel. All you're doing no. is putting on signs saying, I carry a gun. I hear reports they, you know, are attracted to brighter colors. Well, it's because, think about it. You and I go out, say we're just going out scouting. 
mm-hmm. for white-tailed deer. For both, but you and I are going to be camel. I love my camel. I usually got camel head to toe half the time. Right. But, uh, you know, right away, Sasquatch looks at you and I, and we're a threat. Mm-hmm. We got a weapon on us. We're out there stalking. So if they try to come in on us, they know that our spidey senses are on full alert because we're hunting. So they're not going to come near us. But all of a sudden, you go to where I'm in Seattle, by the way, right now. I'm the south of Seattle in Kent, Washington. This is where my wife, common law wife lives. And I'm yeah. down here more more than ever nowadays. But anyway, uh, I usually go to Canada as much as I can. I'll probably go up in two weeks for another month or so. But anyway, yeah. down here in Seattle, I just get a kick out of it. You go in the bush and you see these freaking concreters uh-huh. with their little backpacks with the water bag and the little hose coming out and they all got their rei or their mountain equipment co-op or bright colors oh they look so beautiful and in fashion but man they look like a i just walked in a candy shop it's so bright and all the different colors and you're watching them trip and stumble and talking loud and the whole nine yards and not looking around at their surroundings. And those are the ones that get mauled by animals because they're not looking around at their surroundings. They're a bunch of dumb concreters and bright colors. And Sasquatch seems intrigued by them because, yeah, he's curious, but he also knows that there's not a perceived threat from the concreters and their bright colored REI and mountain equipment co-op and North Face and so forth. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's funny. Um... I think it was about two summers ago. There's a place where my wife and I take the dogs to go hiking in the woods. And we were going down a trail and it's state forest up there. So the trails are fairly maintained. Uh, and we're, we're walking down, having a good old time, you know, just not loud or nothing, you know, just enjoying being in nature, like recharging our soul. And we cut down this one path and at the time we only had one dog. It was before I got a train walker coonhound. Another story, another show. Um, but my big dog, he's French Mastiff, Rottweiler, and Lab Mix. Awesome dog. Just very loving, very protective, you know, big baby at heart, really. Well, we come across this rock Karen, and his hackles, all the hair on him, he just stood up, and he's just giving this real low growl and just kind of looking at it and kind of go up to try and sniff it and back up and he he did not like whatever he smelled you know saw whatever i have video of it somewhere so that goes on for about five ten minutes and we're like okay you know his name's bane i was like come on bane let's, let's go let's go see if you know let's make sure everything else is safe so we head up the trail and you know i had my sidearm on me you know just just in case, you know, they say we don't have mountain lion in Pennsylvania. We do. So we get up and around this bend, and all of a sudden, the whole bushes and small trees are just shaking like a mopo, like crazy. And I freeze, and I put my hand on my sidearm, and I'm like, okay, my first thought, this could be a bear, this could be Sasquatch, this could be anything. Luckily, it turned out it was about a six or eight point buck, and he, we startled him, and he jumped up and took off. But the whole the whole vibe and energy was just different because 
what we saw with the rock Karen, the way that my dog interacted, just the, the, the vibe of the forest that was around at the time, it was just, it, it wasn't right. And, and the whole rest of the hike, and it was probably a good five, six mile hike. You didn't hear a bird. You didn't hear nothing. It just, something was different that day. And it, it was unique. Um, I contributed, you know, who knows what it could have been, but you know, it, there's a possibility that could have been sad. It could have been man-made. Who knows? But it was just, it was different. And I went up there last weekend and headed down part of that one trail. And I got this real uneasy feeling. And I was just like, no, I, I need to turn around and back out of here. And so I did. I went went back to the car and took a slow ride back down off the mountain. Saw a couple deer and what have you. But like you say the 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 city dwellers and this you know concrete walkers and what have you they don't they don't pay attention to that at all and you have to it's like me when i go to the bush i have to if i'm out there doing something other than sasquatch investigating i have to turn my mind off looking as an investigator for sasquatch because you're gonna see them you know, it's just, I can only speak for my region in Omaha when I was, I've been down there three different times or twice in Omaha, Indian Reserve. But uh, <clears throat> you know what to look for? You go to the areas where they're more than likely going to be, you're going to come across them. Like a lot of people, like I, I don't believe in going into the forest of North America. I just, to me, the only one who has come up spades in North America is Bob Gimlin and Roger Patterson filming Patty. And that was on an open gravel bar where they caught her, Bluff Creek. So, and the other one was uh, <clears throat> the elk hunters in uh, Alberta, Canada. They're archery hunting for elk, and uh, they're <clears throat> pretty far back in the bush. Got a video camera, heard something, so they're ready to go and video whatever they're seeing. And uh, they videotape that little short Sasquatch. You know, it's uh, took off. A lot of people all throw at me. What about Freeman? And you know, what about this one? What about Todd Standing? I'm like, no, those aren't Sasquatch. Todd Standing? Yeah. So full of shit, his eyes are brown. Yeah. Every time he talks, my leg gets sore. And I, I in uh, Quinault Indian Reservation here in Washington State at the Squatch Fest, nuts. That's the Bigfoot conference anyway. And I think it was 2015 or 2017 era. And uh, Les Stroud was there with Todd Standing. And uh, I was sitting in a hall with 660 other people because I remember 660. They were all happy because it a sold out event, full room, shoulder to shoulder. I'm in this conference room. And I'm don't have a right year. It's dead because of years being a hunting guy and having it blown out. And my left one's not all that great as well. But anyway, I'm in the conference with my wife, Peggy. And uh, there's Todd Standing, John Bindernagel, and uh, Les Stroud on the stage. John knows me, and he's deaf as a stump too. But anyway, three and a half minutes into Todd Standing's verbal diarrhea, 
I got up and I looked at Peggy and I'm like, I can't listen to this bullshit. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> the whole auditorium heard me. <laughs> and uh, I go walking out and everyone's like, oh, looking at me. And they didn't really know me back then. Right. You know, a lot of people talk about it. Go, man, I should have got up and walked out when you did that time at that Sasquatch conference. I got but yeah, no, right? it's, you know, I, I, I don't hold back about him. You know, he basically cut the hairs off the ass of his dog and his wife, the movie costume designer she glued it to his face you know that's yeah. those aren't sasquatches no it i gotta admit i was duped a little bit when i i first come across the stuff i was like oh wow this guy's actually you know putting some good evidence and then slowly truth always comes out like the drippings out of a coffee pot yeah and then you find out you're a piece of shit dude yeah you're in it to try and make money and scam people the biggest one though like there's a lot some people are listening right now going oh you believe tom seward's dissing todd standing okay you gotta remember i'm ghost <laughs> i lived in bush for over 20 years and i'm been in the bush all my life and out in the waters as a commercial fisherman so and it's like when you see a picture of a video or a picture of someone look at this Sasquatch and there's snow and then I always say where's the track follow-up after you were shit scared yeah it took you a day but you went back the next day and you looked and oh look at the this is where we saw it look at the size of the footprints oh there's actually two of them I'll believe that one no one's done that yet you know even the Russian Yeti running through the bush you know snow no tracks and the list goes on well, Todd Standings in his movie, because I had to, felt like gagging watching it, but I had to watch it because, you know, you got to walk an hour and a half in someone else's moccasins to understand them a little more. And uh, there he is right in the beginning of the show. And he's like, it's right there. He's it. It's just over there looking at me. And if, next thing you know, he's waving around hand, uh, hand flare. Oh, go on, get out of here. Ah. Yeah. And he's like, it was standing right there, not 40 feet from me. Well, he was camped there. So where the hell was he the next morning when he woke up? Didn't he walk 40 feet over and go, look, this is where it was standing. This is actually how close it got to me. And this is where it came from. Here's the track follow-up. Come on now. You're out there filming a Sasquatch show to make money. And you don't give us a track follow-up when that Sasquatch was 40 feet away from you the night before? You're so full of shit. Your eyes are brown, Todd. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and that's it's people like him that give people that actually do believe and, and know that they do exist and want to talk about it a bad rep- reputation. Well, look at you. You just mentioned a few minutes ago about you're such a good hunter that you stalker that you bought a ghillie suit. Mm-hmm. I bought one f- six years ago because of goddamn Todd standing. I won't wear it. He made us look silly in ghillie suits when he was running around like G.I. Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The purpose of a ghillie suit is not to run around. It's yeah, I know. It's to 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 move as slow as you can and blend into your environment. Yeah. <laughs> That's why the snipers invented them. Yeah. I know all about uh, that. Yeah. Look at no, me it's... across the rocks on this this little creek. Woohoo. You know, it's that's what you gotta really watch out for. Like me, I'm trying to get conclusive truth in the existence of Sasquatch with an interaction or 
maybe someone comes in with the carcass, whatever. I'm not, I don't, I'm not supportive of that, but you know, I do want conclusive proof. And the reason for that is because you're, I'm one of the first humans. I'm a pioneer of the orca whale watching in British Columbia, pioneer mm-hmm. of boat based grizzly bear tours in British Columbia, pioneer of sea kayaking expeditions in British Columbia. That was back in the early 1980s. And nowadays, I've seen this industry where people were calling me crazy for bringing hippies out in kayaks. I'm like, actually, no, they're all well off doctors and lawyers I'm bringing out in kayaks because I'm charging so much. And they're like, I don't know what you're doing, wasting your time bringing people grizzly bear to watch stupid, stinky grizzly bears eat salmon in the river. Well, I don't want to tell you, but, you know, I'm making... $180 per person times 12 on a boat, do the math, I'm making some serious jack here. And you know, the list goes on on that. So I and now they're multi-million dollar industry. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Throughout the world and wherever there's grizzlies, grizzly tours as well. So I was a pioneer of that. And I know how lucrative it was. I was damn near a millionaire until I got sued in 07 and lost everything. But, you know, it's another story. But. I know what it was like to have $30,000 credit limit on each of my two credit cards and rack them up every month and pay them off within a week because I was making that much money in eco tourism with my tour boats and kayak fleets and everything. So to find the conclusive proof of Sasquatch, you know, I charge on average about $200 per person for a Sasquatch expedition over a 24 hour period. And I have some trips that are $2,500 a day on a yacht. And, you know, so basically someone could show up here in my house and I jump in their truck because I don't have a vehicle. I can jump in their vehicle and take them on a Sasquatch expedition for $100 US, you know. So I start from 100 and I go up from there, depending on what you want and what your budget is. Right. And, you know, it's tough to get bookings because, you know, it's covid number one and then it's you know it's little unknown it was like us trying to get bookings back in 19 early 1980s for our bear watching whale watching grizzly bear tours sea kayaking when there was no internet you know so and no one really knew about it but mark my words once the conclusive proof of the existence of sasquatch comes through peggy and i have a fleet of kayaks we also do glamping uh high-end camping and we have access to numerous boats for charter for Sasquatch investigations. And we're going to be booked up solid. And she just retired from her job and I'm semi-retired. I do uh, con- business consulting and uh, I'm the head of president of Pacific Balance Marine Management, which is the British Columbia First Nations Indian group that we're pushing the government to give us license to be able to sell the seals and sea lions that we harvest. Uh, we want to be able to protect our salmon because there's an overpopulation of seals and sea lions. So I make a few dollars at that. My native art is what really sells. Yeah, and I love your artwork, by the way. 
And uh, if anyone's interested, just get a hold of me at the end of the show. I'll leave all my contacts. But, you know, I want to be able to be able to make, you know, 100,000 a year doing Sasquatch expeditions. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love it when I got enough people like that want to go on one of the boats because I don't have to pay for that boat. Right. The clients, they're the ones paying for it. But I'm their Indian guide, you know, and, you know, we're I'm planning in two weeks to head out on a boat. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be advertising $800 per person and, uh, you know, got two seats available, two bunks, basically beds. But, you know, for 800 bucks, you can come out with us for four days. You know, that's 200 bucks a day. It's you know, cheaper than buying a hotel room nowadays. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's people that pay $1,000 a day just to go out and catch uh, tuna or flounder or sailfish or, you know, whatever, you know, commercial fishing, you know, on a rod or, how you know, however they want to do it. So why why not do it? Um, I was just talking to one of my buddies who's a tour operator. He's just uh, negotiating for a new job on a high-end Norwegian-based pocket cruise ship that cruises the, you fly to Nome, Alaska, and you jump on the ship, and you go all the way to Halifax, Canada, through the Northwest Passage. And uh, 28 days on ship, all-inclusive, kayaking and Zodiac tours. Oh, wow. And uh, it's thirty thousand dollars. That's thousand. It's over a thousand a day. Yeah, I, I've actually been up near Halifax uh, when I was in the military. We we went up through uh, Nova Scotia before we crossed the pond to, to head over to Saudi back in '98. I think. Oh yeah. Huh. So yeah, <laughs> we all left New Mexico because that's where I was stationed. It was January, but it was still kind of warm down there. I mean it would snow but we got off in nova scotia and we were like holy this is freaking cold <laughs> like we're all in t-shirts and shorts and it's you know eight foot of snow sitting around we're like oh man did we not dress right because we were like yeah. we're going to the desert you know we yeah need to be wearing warm clothes <laughs> <laughs> yeah no sasquatch it's an interesting thing you know it's gonna be like a lot of people you know I've educated quite a few people where I'm actually got some of the tour companies that wouldn't even give me the time of day are now, you know, Hey Tom, is there any way you might be able to book my boat, my kayaks during the off season, fall, winter, early spring. I'm like, hell yeah. Sasquatch trips. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one thing I won't do is get in a kayak and go out in the ocean. Oh, it's, (laughs) they don't flip. They're bugger all. I don't like it myself because you get a wet ass all the time. That and I'm my luck. An orca will will come and, and try and serve and, and flip me and probably oh, no. try and eat me. <laughs> that, that's my luck. They come up so close to you. Oh, I'd probably poop myself. Yeah, yeah. No, a friend of mine up in Campbell River on north on central east side of Vancouver Island. It's sort of the hub for whale watching, grizzly bear tours, and so forth. And because uh, it's just hundreds of places to go, inlets, you name it. Well, he's uh, got a $25,000 FLIR forward-looking infrared device mm-hmm. on the cab of his boat now. And it's a high-speed aluminum water taxi turbo. And so he has a heated, with a flush toilet, 12 passengers, with a FLIR. So in two weeks, I'm going up there and we're going to videotape that FLIR because not 45 minutes from Campbell River, we went in with a yacht 
three and a half years ago with uh, Stephen Major. A lot of people know him with uh, Extreme Expeditions Northwest. He's been doing a lot of Sasquatch shows, Alaska at Port Chatham, his first one. He came out with us at Adam Davies, uh, famous uh, tracker. And uh, Adam was on the back deck having a smoke and about 11 o'clock, 10.30 at night. We'd already was got Larry back. Beans on that? No, he wasn't on that one. Okay. Beans Baxter? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Adam opens the door and goes, Tom, you better come outside and take a look. So I went outside and he gave me the Fleur Scout 2 and I put it up. There was a freaking big boomer head on the beach at about 150 yards roughly and then all of a sudden i'm looking looking that thing stood up we're walking with two legs oh man that's too big for a human like hey you guys come out here so for we got 16 minutes of video of that thing because what i did is i grabbed the floor and i put it on my cell phone and i was looking at the cell phone going hey it's recording and freaking i recorded a couple frames couple stills couple videos and then steven grabbed his cell phone and we got 16 minutes of recording of that sasquatch walking on that beat that's 45 minutes out of campbell river and that's where we're going to go and in the evening run up there and uh just scout around that area at night see if we can see any more heck yeah that that sounds like i don't know extreme fun to me <laughs> oh hell yeah like i say you know I'm, i remember if you know the, my whole career in tourism you know i do things i do the r&d the research and development before i do anything and so number one is there a buyer for my product or package or creation or experience you have to do your r&d so people were cannibalizing one another with their kayak companies and you know to me it was like well if i'm gonna get involved why stay in a leaky soggy dirty tent is what i advertise when you come to the pacific northwest it is a rainforest and in august we call it foggest and june we call monsoon june and in july sometimes we get up to 12 days of rain and if it ain't rain it's fog and what is fog smaller rain that gets into everything, including your tent. That's why it's a leaky, soggy, dirty, stinky tent. So when you come on a sea kayak trip to paddle with whales, come with Aboriginal Adventures, my company, because you're going to stay in a cedar cabin reminiscent to be built like a cedar longhouse with a native orchid design painted on it. So you'll be in an elevated bunk, so there's no plumber's crack getting in and out out of your bedding. And I was booked up solid. And, you know, and that's... And you built those by, by hand, don't you? Yeah, I built... Well, they're just glorified 8 by 10 foot garden sheds. Yeah. I still have them. That's our Sasquatch investigation camp now. Yeah, we do Sasquatch investigations down there. But with this COVID, it sort of held everything up. Uh, it's held a lot of stuff up, unfortunately. Um, yeah. I watched... Because uh, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, a doc... It was like a documentary. It was about Bigfoot, Sasquatch, but it took place in Vancouver. And what made me think of you, it, it's like a small island or a small community, and they were hearing all this vocals at night and, and sometimes even during the day. And they were interviewing some of the locals, and, and some of them were uh, First Nations. 
is that close to where you're at? Oh, have you heard numerous different places around? Um, okay. Like we got because uh, so many Indian communities have a lot of vocalizations on, especially Vancouver Island. I think, and I think that's where it took place was Vancouver Island, and that's what stuck out in my mind. Now, I this was a couple years ago when when you know I saw it or what have you, but the first thing my mind went to is you know your past interviews that you had done and what you talked about and i'm like i wonder if that's where probably uh probably tofino or a house it that's on the west coast vancouver island two different communities they had a lot of vocalizations okay yeah the i was telling you earlier how i'm dialed in with facebook messenger it's the modern day smoke signal i call it yeah because it'll get two o'clock in the morning my phone will go off and now when i go to bed i actually wife makes me turn it off because it would ring and someone would be hey can you hear it can you hear it i got my phone out my window and you'd hear the screaming of sasquatches so vancouver island the hot spots are like uh tofino on the west coast uh northern uh um West or North Central West Coast, a house it. It's just outside of uh, Tofino. It's uh, Ukula. It's called. They have a lot of activity. It's an Indian reservation. You can only access it by float plane or uh, boat. And then further up north, where Les Stroud went, Clem too. They have a lot of activity there. And I'm probably going to be going to Clem too here in uh, the near future. I'm working with the native tribe to help them get their seal and sea lion harvesting going at a commercial level. So if I go up there, I just bought a P1000 Nikon with uh, 4K video capabilities and a built-in telephoto lens. And talking with the chiefs from Clem 2, they said, oh, no, we didn't take less to where the Sasquatches were. I said, I know, you took them up to the lake. And I said, you brought them into the forest. I said, it's too hard to find them. He goes, no, no, no we'll, t- we'll take you to the other places. And I'm like, yeah, okay, because I, as a commercial fisherman, I used to stop by Clem too all my career, and you know, I still do when I'm fishing. And you know, right away, go walk in town, and hey, what do you know about Sasquatches? Oh, you should have been here last week. <laughs> you know, the <laughs> Sasquatches are always in that community. And Facebook Messenger, I'm in that community probably once every three or four months, listening to Sasquatches yelling around. Nice. Well, yeah, it's a really hotbed. You know, the whole if you're gonna find Sasquatch, and I'm gonna say it, you know. Please don't be offended, but stay the hell out of the pubic hair in North America, the forest. You're not going to find them. John Bern, um, Bob Gimlin, Roger Patterson, they came up spades at Bluff Creek. Uh, Freeman footage, Les Stroud, I don't think they're, I know they're less, uh, not Les Stroud, but uh, Todd Standing, I know that's not real. The Freeman footage, I don't believe to be real because the hair is too synthetic looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at a primate they're always oily hair like when we go camping or hunting for a week we come out we're all oily yeah well that's like sasquatches when you see them they're really got that glistening coat that you know is oil covered it's not all spiky like a porcupine and unlike synthetic which is spiky like a porcupine and freeman footage is too spiky for me to be classed as a real sasquatch now you look at the indian independence day female with its baby well look at the greasy looking black hair you know that's Mm -hmm. no costume that's a sasquatch and patty you take a a grizzly or any wild animal they're gonna have 
an oily texture to their fur. Oh yeah. You know, or hair, what you know, whatever the case may be. And like you said, and even my amateur eyes looks at some of these these quote unquote videos. I'm like, really? You're gonna try and pass this off as real? Yeah. How stupid do you take me for? Oh yeah. Well, it's you know a lot of people have inferiority complexes. You know, they get used to get their heads washed in the urinal at high school by the big bullies like me. You know, and you know. <laughs> try to be bigger than what they are and they know they're just a little small penis individual who has no recognition and that's why they're hoaxing and faking you know and that's what you really have to be wary of with the whole sasquatch equation yeah and there is a lot of imposters out there unfortunately yeah too many yeah and it goes with any um cryptid or alien or whatever genre you you want to go in you're you're gonna have people out there that just want to fake it to make it yeah yeah it's it's sad just be original you're you're gonna get more more trusted followers and more trusted information out there if you're just truthful and you know show even if it's just a little bit just show what little you have and eventually like the coffee pot theory it trickles and it gains traction yeah see out here we're lucky because we have pacific northwest you know shellfish beaches that's the highest concentration of protein in its natural state is in the pacific northwest in high tidal flow areas at low tide you're going to have shellfish and uh, barnacles mussels clams cockles another type of clam uh, gooey ducks sea worms ghost shrimp oysters roll a rock over there's baby crabs and eels and little bullhead fish and seaweed you know and then you get the washing dead seals and birds and you name it so there's so much protein on the beaches and that's where they are like right now it's prime time it's it's november you know it's sasquatches we just had this big flood out here huge uh i think they called it a meteorological river or something it was just <laughs> massive what went through and wiped out all our highways in british columbia bridges and uh, railway bridges but then vancouver the lower mainland looks like one big lake you know houses thousands of houses under you know five feet of water thousands of cattle and sheep and birds have died because of the farms being flooded so when that happened the rivers blew out they went to flood conditions the salmon that were remaining spawning well, the Sasquatch can't get at them. Bears couldn't get at them. That's why bears den up mid-November. November 11th, uh, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, Armistice, Remembrance Day in Canada. When I was a bear hunting guide, I knew that when Remembrance Day, November 11th was coming. After that, it was just deer hunting. You're not going to find any bears. They den up. But just after November 10th, that's when the big first big monsoon comes, Pacific Storm blows the rivers out salmon are still spawning but they're too deep too too much tight too much current so the sasquatches migrate to shellfish beaches but i've also found because of modern human produced protein we have them migrating or hanging out in the areas with uh, cornfields there's still corn on the ground and on stock uh there's uh 
apples still in apple trees. You know, I was just at a friend's house last week and the neighbor across the street, I was surprised to see there's still well over a hundred big lush red apples in his tree. So that's what they're going for. So when I moved down here about five years ago to spend more time in Kent, Washington than Vancouver Island out in the bush, living with Peggy, wanted to investigate. So I started doing the research and development for investigations, started reaching out, going to the fringe of the urban environment, talking to the store owners and restaurants and bars, talking to the locals, finding out where the activity was. And then it progressed that I found that now I have more time investigating what I call urbanized Sasquatches. These are the ones that have learned that 12 months of the year, humans produce protein. We have at the fringe of our urban environments, we have farms and hobby ranches. So we have seeds and carrots and things that are fed to the animals. We have compost, we have greenhouses, we have feed sheds for the ducks and the animals. And we have dog dishes left outside. So I go up to this one area called Edomclaw Buckley in east of me in Kent, Washington. And we park in a parking lot of Pyramid Mountain hiking trail. And you're looking at the houses and you see the porch lights go off, the downstairs lights go off, the bedroom lights go off, TVs are off. Then you start hearing the chattering and the noises as the Sasquatches are moving from the forest where they're sleeping all day. And what I call the humans of the night Sasquatch are now coming into the place where they can get that human produced foods. And it's so funny because whenever we go there and you always see the cows at this one place, instead of being at the under the branches of the overhanging trees at the back of the field at the base of Pyramid Mountain, they're all at the road along the fence. You know, even the cows are scared of Sasquatch there. And, you know, it's, 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 and it's really getting, we're getting some payoff. Like we had a good Fleur image we captured of a Sasquatch walking down the riverbank. You know, it's one o'clock at night. And there's traffic just going back and forth on the bridge, people leaving the bars and going home. And we're walking across this bridge and all of a sudden there's a bipedal Fleur boomer walking down and buddy turned a switch on his floor but it lit up the spotlight instead because it was a cyborg type apparition he had and, and uh that sasquatch just stopped turned and took off but for the listeners out there you know you don't have to go 40 miles into the forest to find sasquatch because you probably won't concentrate on the highest concentration of seasonal proteins like salmon rivers, shellfish beaches in the winter, uh, orchards, cornfields. And then for the this time of the year, November, where nothing's growing, it's the end of growing season, concentrate on those human-produced foods. And you'd be amazed what you're going to find. Take the time to interact with the farmers, you know, and you'll hear them go, yeah, something's been taking my oats out of my, my feed shed. And <laughs> I have to put a big bolt on it you know and things like that or you know they'll even be open with you and talking oh yeah no i know they come out i you know i always leave more waste food and meat and bones over in the compost area than i usually do it's just so i can feed those what things that scream at night 
You know, if I don't feed them, they scream. And Omaha Indian Reservation, everyone's house I went to, they had a bucket that all the table scraps and cuttings were put in. And the kid would have to go out before dark and throw it into the bush. And when you walk behind the houses, there's well-established trail networks that the coyotes are using and the badgers and skunks and the deer, but you find Bigfoot tracks. So they're coming to the human produced food that's being put out for what they call Sasquatch in Omaha language, Sitonga, because they don't want them. One woman we talked to, she pulled up, she was on like a little knoll and before her husband died of cancer, he cut all the timber off, all the trees on the one side of the knoll. So you could see all around. She pulled in there, dropped off her groceries on a table in her carport. But uh, her, she said her cell phone rang. She says, I usually put the groceries on the on the thing. And then I call the kids out, my grandkids, I look after to get the, the bags of groceries to bring in. As I was loading the table, my cell phone rang and they told me that I forgot one of my bags at the store. So I yelled at the kids to grab the food and bring it in the house. I jumped in the car, ran back to the store. I came back probably 20 minutes later. And as I came into the carport, there was a big sitonga at the table eating a big family-sized portion of raw chicken. And I said, what do you do? She goes, what do you think I did? I honked the horn and flashed the lights. That thing was eating my chicken. And that thing looked at me and growled and roared and turned and ran with her chicken. And that Sasquatch was right in her carport. Then she said about a year later, her friend came and uh, with a brand new vehicle, hatchback with a glass window and parked in the carport. And she said her car wasn't there. Her daughter had borrowed it. But uh, that night they heard some a big loud noise and didn't think nothing of it. Next morning they went out and that back window was smashed. And that woman that her friend who was visiting said she had uh, food in the car and something smashed it out. There's no bears in Omaha Indian Reservation. So it was probably more than likely a Sitonga. Across the street, not 400 yards away, uh, interviewed a farmer there. His, uh heard his dog barking. So he grabbed the gun and he was going down the porch and uh, he said, I hadn't turned the flashlight on. And all of a sudden, I heard my dog yipping. And then this bang. When I got to where my dog was, he was dead, still on his chain. But that Sasquatch was walking, tried to walk into his barn. And that's when he said, hey. And he put the flashlight on, leveled the gun. And he said, that thing just turned and took off. But that thing grabbed his big German Shepherd and smashed it against that tin barn and killed it. So do you think they associate bright light with weapons? Bright light? Like shining a flashlight on it. Do they, do you think they associate that with like danger? Like they might be a boomstick's going to go off. Um, Second amendment, right? <laughs> there are, yeah. I think they equate American has a gun. <laughs> light or no light. Because yeah. that's the way I am down yeah. here. You know, I, I carry a pocket knife with me all the time when I go for walks. This neighborhood we're in, you know, it's suburbia, but it is kind of sketchy. We've got a lot of meth heads and street people around. Not so much. We've been running them out of the community. But anyway, you know, 
I've never pulled it and I really don't want to because more than likely that person's going to have a gun. I'm a Canadian. I'm not allowed to carry a pistol down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, what is this? How, how do I word this? What is the scariest vocalization you've ever heard that just made you freeze in your tracks, <laughs> hair stand on the back of your <clears throat> neck and almost want to piss yourself? 1990, I was working for my tribe on our abandoned Indian Reserve Island, totem poles on the ground. I was doing a summer tourism watchman's program. So my budget, I bought a used 26-foot trailer, and we brought it there and put it on the, on the landing craft with the backhoe, dragged it up on the, above the high tide mark and put it on, on the ground, and I built a 10 by 10 uh, little addition on it. And uh, that was our home. And I was there by myself. And I was lying in bed. And you'd hear them every year around the end of September, beginning of October. You'd hear the vocalizations, island to island. Whoop, whoop, roar. And, you know, you knew it was Sasquatch. That's what we do in the dance in the potlatch. Whoop, whoop. You know, you, rep, you imit, imitate what you hear and see of Sasquatch. So anyway, I'm lying in there and, you know, you'd hear a, a whoop and then a hot scream and another island answer and so forth. Well, this one year, I believe it was 1991 and 92 era. I was in there reading my book, Candlelight. All of a sudden I heard a whoop and scream up the channel on Turner Island. And I heard an answer over on the backside of Harbel Down Island, you know, a mile and a half away. And all of a sudden, behind my camp, my trailer, there's uh, it was an old homestead, so there's wild plum trees. And I thought it was a deer in the plum trees because I hear the cracking every now and then. All of a sudden, I hear this. And I'm just like, hair stood on my end. I like grabbed my 12 gauge, my 30, 30, 12 gauge was on the floor. I grab it, my 30, 30 is beside me in the bunk. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's right outside the window. <laughs> Big hairy arm is going to come through my window. And then all of a sudden that bellows again. And I'm like, heart's pounding, knees are shaking. I'm just like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And that's when I just thought, my uncle's training. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. So I banged on the side of that trailer. Bang, 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 bang. Hey, can't you hear I'm sleeping in here? And all of a sudden you heard a uh, 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 crack, 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 because it walked away. Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, at least that left. <laughs> <laughs> it works better than any gun, I guess. Yeah. I think I had to throw away my underwear the next day, man. Uh, that was Yeah, cool. I think I would have done the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that was the loudest and scariest one I ever heard. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I've I, been I, followed by them. We went to... Uh, place we have what we call a herring punt they're about 24 feet long uh, about 12 feet wide three and a half four feet at the sides all aluminum with bins we call it welded in there and a big 90 horse outboard on the back end and you know they're heavy like i'm not talking thin gauge aluminum i'm talking marine grade industrial right. probably uh eighth inch thick heavy bloody thing so four of us go to this um inlet and i'd been there in helicopter that's a few months before flying over there 
and I seen this creek went up from the salt water all the way up this mountain and right at the top in the tree line was a waterfall but not that big maybe 40 50 feet high waterfall and then it opens into this big alpine bowl and this lake was uh copper blue that copper sulfite because it had copper contrast but there's a lot of mountain goats there so i told my three buddies and we said yeah let's go hunt those mountain goats i said yeah it's gonna take us probably three hours to hike up from the salt water to the alpine I said, you know, and uh, we'll camp up there. Just get up, camp, do our uh, mountain goat hunting. Okay. So we beached the boat at high tide. And it's a boulder beach. And it's uh, pretty steep, which saved our butts. But we walked up. And sure enough, three and a half hours later, we got to the waterfall. <clears throat> Two went up the left side of the waterfall. And me and the other guy went up the right side. As we're going up, all of a sudden you heard this. Bang, 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 bang. Tree knock above the two guys that were across from us. And then another tree knocking above us. And then we ended up hearing five different tree knocks at different locations. So five Sasquatches. And I'm just like looking at them going down, 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 down. So we go back down to where our packs are. And they're like, what the fuck do we do? I said, what the hell do you think we do? I said, you know, our training, they tree knock. They're telling us to turn 180 and get the hell out of here. So we're getting the hell out of here. So we started walking pretty fast down back where we came from. And, you know, guys were like, do you think it'll be dark? Think it'll be dark? I said, oh, no, 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 no. I said, it took us three and a half hours to get up. We got two and a half hours of daylight left. I said, we'll be fine. We'll get to the beach before dark. Well, then as we're going down, they were parallel with us on either side of that creek up on the banks. <laughs> and they were here them slap on a tree every now and then, a snap of a big, heavy, heavy branch. Now we're no longer walking at a brisk pace. We're now full out, most of the time, stumbling and bumbling and rolling like a ball. <laughs> but we booked it. We, like they say in Vietnam, DD out of there. Is that how they used to say it? That's what we were doing. And we got to the beach. Now the tide's gone down. And we're high and dry with this big aluminum monstrosity. Oh, you never saw four guys with driftwood and pry bar and get that big chunk of aluminum with that 90 horse in the water so dang quick <laughs> jumped in there and we went up inlet and we got to the head of the inlet which is where we were at it's probably about 15 minutes on that boat tied up to the dock and we walked up to the watchman shack there's a house up there and a friend of mine an older gentleman was the watchman for the logging camp it wasn't being used you know they have all their equipment there so you don't want thievery so walked up there and knocked on his door and Told him, you know, hey, Steve, can four of us crash out in one of the sheds tonight? He just looked at me. He goes, you bring anything with a handle? And as a matter of fact, I knew I'd come here. Here's your crown royal with a handle, 60 ounces. <laughs> come on in. You guys can sleep anywhere you want. <laughs> but we told him about that. And he goes, yeah, I know the place. Yeah, they did that to me, too. Oh, twice man. I tried going up there to get those mountain goats, and twice I got pushed out of there by them. Those are their mountain goats. Yeah, those are their mountain goats, I guess. Yeah. No, I've had a lot of experiences with them. You know, it's like when I got together with Peggy in 20, 2008. But it wasn't until about, I guess, 2014 area when I came down to Kent, Washington, the 
little bit more than usual because I get to remember she found me in the bush and uh, I, I what do you call it after I split up with the mother of my children in 08 March I moved back to bush so I was in bush and she flew out in May on a float plane from Seattle to the lodge I was working at and uh, that's when I put my cards on the table we've been together ever since but, awesome. you know, I was still working and living in Bush and uh, I came down here and she introduced me in, to television show called Finding Bigfoot. And I was like, what do you mean if they exist? What do you mean? Maybe there could be Sasquatches out there. I said, there are bloody Sasquatches out there. You spend enough time in the bush, you're going to see a white animal, be it a white raccoon, a white bear, a white raven, a white whale even. I said, see it all over the internet. I said, you spend enough time in bush, you're going to see, smell, or hear Sasquatches. And she goes, she looked at me. I remember Peggy had a job with a pretty big company here in the Pacific Northwest and, you know, well-educated, you know, you know, city person. And here's her new Indian man for life saying he believes Bigfoot. And she's like, oh, my God, I can't believe he believes in Bigfoot. What do I do? Do I, you know, not accept this and it becomes an issue with our relationship? Or do I do like he says, walk a day in a man's moccasins to understand them? Maybe I should understand a little more. Well, now she's one of North America's leading female Sasquatch investigators. And she had a sleep in one time in our Sasquatch investigation camp. And she had a Sasquatch put its hands on the side of the window and look at her while she was sleeping. Oh, um we had to rescue Adam Davies off the beach when we're after the night of seeing the Sasquatch and the Fleur follow up. Went in the next morning, looked for tracks. We found tracks. Uh, and that night, reenact a bipedal human at the sa- exact the location where, with the boat anchored out so that we could get a size perspective of how big the thing was we saw on Fleur and recorded it. So we dropped them off at night and, uh, I pulled offshore, shut the motor off, and not three minutes later, he's on the phone. Tom, pick me up, come pick me up, come pick me up. <laughs> Went in with the Zodiac, and he's scrambling to get in the boat. And I'm flashing with the spotlight, and there's a perfect tree peak. Sasquatch, boom, they're gone. And I got him in a boat, and he's like, holy shit, that thing was like 10 feet away from me without my flashlight on, and it growled at me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. man. So, you know, that was a pretty sketchy one, that one. So. That was- I don't, I don't even have words for that. If if I was in Adam's shoes, I w- yeah, I, I would have shit myself. I, I, oh, yeah, Adam I would, did. I would have shit myself. I would have, too, if I was me on the beach. But one time in 2012, I was building cabins on my Indian reservation island for tourism. So five cabins that look like I have five cabins that look like cedar big houses, but they're eight by 10 foot little glorified garden sheds uninsulated but they're comfortable to sleep in well my native tribe contracted me to do the same thing but bigger cabins timber frame construction professional carpenter so 2012 we were on the island clearing the brush and getting it all ready for the cabins building the the what you call biscuits the platforms where the floor stringers would sit on for the cabins to be built so i was out there with two other tribe members and we had a lot of sasquatch activity more than what we really wanted 
And then the following year, 2012, when we were built, uh, we're building the cabins. We had two of the cabins built and we were living in one, me and my cousin tribe member, Darcy. And uh, everyone else was gone for weekend time off. I told Darcy, I said, look, I said, we're getting a lot of Sasquatch activity. I said, I'm getting tired of it. They're stealing our garlic, our apples. And uh, they're just, you know, getting a little bit too bold coming close to camp. So he's sitting there and he got so scared. We had two cabins built. He was sleeping in one. He got so scared. He showed up at my cabin before dark. Could I sleep in here with you? I'm like, oh, for Christ's sakes, go ahead. Grab the floor. <laughs> like, so, uh, daddy. I yeah, ghost in my closet. So Darcy sitting there because we had cell phones. So he was Facebooking or whatever on his cell phone, texting. I put my camel on, shoved my gun out the window, and he goes, "What are you doing?" It's about dark. I said, "All the leaves we piled up to burn when the rains come in another couple of weeks." I said, "I'm going to go hide in that one by the outhouse trail and uh, see if I can scare that Sasquatch." I said, don't you shoot that 30-30 unless you see me and I tell you where to shoot. I said, then you stay in this cabin. You just open the door and pee if you have to. I said, I'm going to go out there. And he goes, geez, you're brave. I said, maybe stupid, but we'll see what happens. So I crawled out the window. I didn't want to open the door because those things are always watching you. So I went out the side window and I scurried crawling like a sniper through everything with my rifle. I got to that leaves and I wiggled into the leaves and the leaves on top of me. So just, I could just see out of the brim of my hat covered in leaves with my gun in my chest. Sure enough, I wasn't there 20 minutes and all of a sudden you could hear it. And you could see this big lanky Sasquatch coming through the bush. Now I'm in an old skitter track that where they dragged the logs when they logged it in 1927. So I'm in this like a, like an old roadway with berms of about five feet high, 10 feet across. And I'm against the one berm with this pile of leaves I'm hiding in. And the Sasquatch comes out and it's looking at my cabin some 40 feet away, the back of my cabin. And it's just looking and smelling, bobbing, looking. And it grabs this alder tree about maybe five and a half inches in diameter. And it steps down that five foot berm with its right leg and it's pulling the alder tree as it's looking at the back of my cabin and then all of a sudden i come popping out of the leaves not eight feet away from him hey what are you doing sasquatch that sasquatch just looked at me and pulled the tree jumped on the bank looked at me again the tree snapping leaves are falling and i'm like ah you and the thing turned and sounded like a d8 freight train running through the bush snapping and cracking and roaring i'm laughing away and i run jump out of the leaves i run back to the cab and i get in there darcy with a 30 30 you quit picking on the sasquatches I wish I could have saw that. <laughs> oh, that was fun. <laughs> oh, got a good look on his face. <laughs> but yeah, he had a pronounced philtrum. <laughs> he had really white teeth, and it was a juvenile. Okay. <clears throat> so when Darcy, after we he settled down and my heart quit pounding, he's like, well, what's it doing? And I said, well, remember a couple nights ago when I was standing on the, we had the base of a porch, so a big eight by i think it was 
eight by 16 beam. And there's, I, I'm standing on the edge of it because the lip of the roof is above me of this cabin. And I'm trying to stay out of the rain while I'm having a cigarette. You know, it's tourism development. You can't have the cabin smelling like cigarette smoke eventually. So anyway, smoking away and all of a sudden the stick comes sideways. The wind's blowing in my face, but the stick goes against the wind. And I'm like, that's odd. You know, right. should be, be falling with the wind, not against it and horizontal. So I put my cigarette, flicked it, and I skittered down the edge of the cabin. And I jumped and I turned 180 and ah! And there's that same Sasquatch. <sighs> just looks at me and it just turns and bolts and runs. I said, it was the same one, Darcy. He's got to be about six, six. He's pretty tall, but he's not super big. I said, but the tracks that I found and don't compare to the one that's been probing our camp and standing at observation pl- decks it has established. Those ones are like 16 inches. This guy's are around 14 so um so a few days later uh this non-indian guy that was our professional carpenter shows up well uh he took another contract in october end of september october so we hadn't seen him in like two or three weeks he finally shows up to finish the project which is not much maybe four three or four days worth of work just finishing some siding that we tarred papered up and everything. So, and do a door in one of the cabins, the last cabin. Well, when he showed up, he had this huge aluminum box, with power tools. And it took Darcy and I, everything to carry it down the dock, put it in the boat, take it from the boat and up the beach to the tarp where the tools are stored and that. And you got to remember, we're building this camp. We got a generator going, a compressor. He's got an air nailer going, a power saws, chop saws. So anyway, he's finishing the project. And I'm telling him, I'm like, you know, when you go smoke your doobies, don't be going too f- past that outhouse too far. And he let us know if you're going to go anywhere. So we got a lot of Sasquatch activity. I no such thing as freaking Sasquatch. I'm like, whatever. And then he's like, oh, you guys are all chicken shit walking around with guns all day long. I'm like, whatever. You're here to do a job. Do your job. I'm here to do a job as well. And that's protect your white ass while you're freaking doing carpentry. I said, <laughs> I'm, that's what I'm doing. You don't like it? Whatever. So anyway, he he's working away and siding the cabin. I'm beside him doing some other work in a different cabin. And you just hear this crack. I go over to where he is and I squat down and look through the bush and you can see this hairy two legs, big track come up, big foot come up. I'm like, Steph, look, there it is. And he, oh, bullshit, it's a bear. That's no goddamn bear. Take a look. And Darcy come over and I'm like, where's your gun? He's, oh, I left it over in my cabin. I'm like, carry that gun around. I said, we just had a big bloody Sasquatch here. Steph, so weird, no such thing. So we're working away and about hour later i go over to where steph is and i just take a look up on the hill now the alder leaves have been falling for quite some time so you can see up the hill to the timber and i look up and there's this big cedar stump from the logging of 1927 like i'm talking giant cedar stump and i've looked at quite a bit i've even been up to it i'm like doesn't seem right so i'm like darcy get me the spotting scope and it's a bushnell three by nine in a box so as I'm looking, all of a sudden I notice that's a face. 
I'm not taking my eyes off that stump now. Darcy comes and I said, give me that scope. He hands it to me. I said, take it out of the box, you fool. So he takes it out of the box. I said, crank it right to nine. He cranks it. And I put up that bushnell scope, cranked right up. And I look and there's a Sasquatch covered parsley and leaves. Just leaning against that cedar stump looking at us. And I got that squatting scope. And I'm looking at his face. All of a sudden he just goes, <sighs> grimaces like that. Stands up, all the leaves are falling, and he just turns, walking like, don't you fuck with me. And I'm like, I think Mr. Sasquatch is pissed that I put the jig on his son. <laughs> I said, laughing. I was oh, it was funny, he was covered in leaves like you did. Yeah, he did the same trick I did, but back yeah. at me. So, And that was daddy, though. This is a big, talking shoulders like that, Sasquatch. All of a sudden, my carpenter goes, this is like working in goddamn Iraq, for Christ's sakes. They don't pay me enough for this shit. And he starts grabbing stuff. And next thing you know, he starts loading up the speedboat. And all of a sudden, Darcy goes, oh, he must be really scared. Took you and I to carry that toolbox. He's doing it all by himself. <laughs> He's got that big... <laughs> Oh, God, that was it. Our carpenter had to bring him back to Vancouver Island half an hour away by speedboat. And I haven't seen him since. <laughs> Well, I, I thought they don't, they, they're not real. They don't exist. Yeah. They don't, they don't we exist. found out real quick. Yeah. I had to finish doing his job, but we got her done. Yeah. No, I've had a couple run away on me now. My kayak guide at my, at my camp back in 06. We went in there at the end of August and tides fluctuate for the people who don't know tides. It could be a one foot difference. It could be a 18 foot difference. So anyway, the tide was going to be a 16-7. I always remember that tide. It was going to buy just before dark. It was going to be 16-foot-7. Huge high tide mark. And the beaches are covered with driftwood. And I'm talking logs, some of them three foot in diameter, 40 feet long, that have drifted onto my beach. So my plan was to go there that afternoon and cut up the logs. And then when the 16-foot-7 high tide comes, me and my workers would push these logs into the water and use the speedboats tender boats we had to tow them out further so they drift away and i would have a gravel sand beach again so when i had my kayak trip coming for two weeks in a row i'd have a nice beach so largest husqvarna power sod you could buy back in the early 90s that's what i'm cutting up the logs with two full tanks of gas i'm done job's done i put the saw down yell at one of my workers who's in the shed throw me a pepsi Take half Pepsi down, sit down in a folding chair, put my Pepsi in the holder. All of a sudden, you just heard this <laughs> two trees up on the rock bank are being shook. And it reminded me of one of those ghost movies where someone's really vibrating. That's what these two trees were doing, shaking more than what they should have been shaking. And then I looked at my dog and I'm like, Landy, get him. My golden lab bush dog, six years old, well-trained bush bear dog, runs up the rock bank, looks behind the two shaken trees, and just goes spring, turns 180 in the air, lands on the ground, tail between his legs. He's a blonde streak, hits the water, which is high tide, woods floating, looked like Jesus Christ trying to walk across water and driftwood, <laughs> gets in the dinghy. Meanwhile, I'm like looking at my sister, and I'm like, and then all of a sudden I hear a big roar, and... I look behind the cookhouse cabin and there's in between the V of uh, cedar trees is this big male Sasquatch with teeth 
that was looking right at me. Like it was huge. And I'm just like eyeball to eyeball, 60 feet away from the Sasquatch. And I'm looking at him, he's looking at me. And then he did the same thing. <sighs> just that grimace lean forward, like piss off. Uh, like you do to someone when you're ready to get in a fight with them, try to bluff them out. So you don't have to swing fists. That's what the Sasquatch does. And I'm like, damn, his teeth are the size of chiclets. Like, <laughs> like, I'm like, whatever that kid's name, I'm like, get me a gun. Your gun's out in the boat at a 12 passenger aluminum tour boat anchored out in the middle of the bay, you know, some 300, 200 feet offshore. And a mooring boy with lines going off to the sides because it's windy and the boat's being held so its bow is into the waves. And I'm like, well, give me a machete or an axe. And I'm backing from the, to get the cookhouse in front of me. Now I don't want to look at a Sasquatch and piss him off. And I look at my sister. I'm like, get in that boat. We're getting out of here. All of a sudden, my sister turns, runs across the wood. And I'm like, slow down. You're going to break a leg. She's trying to pull a Jesus move too, trying to walk on water. She gets in the dinghy. I tell my kayak guide, Hugo, who's from Holland, Dutch kid. And uh, Ryan, that's the name of the Indian kid. Tell Ryan to get in this other skiff. And when I get into the dinghy with the dog and my sister, my sister grabs that line that's going to the back of the boat tied to a tree. And she just starts pulling it. Well, she just well flipped over that rectangle duck punt like we see at uh, Cabela's and Bass Pro Shop outside, 12 feet long. She almost flips it. And I'm like, slow down. You're going to flip us. And we got out to the boat. And as we're cutting the lines, you could hear them roaring and screaming. And we had to leave. And it was get out of there for the night. Next day, I went back with a couple guys, and we lit it up like Vietnam. We went down there with six guns and I don't know how many hundreds of rounds of ammo. And As we were driving in on the logging road, I was drinking a gallon of water. As soon as we got to the camp, I went around the perimeter peeing as much as I could, and we were shooting rifles and shotguns. I was screaming at them, this is my camp. I will not leave ever again. Ever since then, I've had peace with them to a certain extent. Right. Wow. (laughs) That's some mind-blowing experiences that I think a lot of people that are into and believe in in this topic wish they could have this kind of experience to an extent. To an extent, yeah. There's a lot of shit in your pants going on (laughs) in a a lot of these, you know encounters but if you don't have that then you don't know it's real oh yeah way you know what i mean like well be smarter charter this indian come out with me you'll find out they're real (laughs) yeah no we do expeditions like i say sasquatch island is uh dot com it's our website which is always under construction it's not too in-depth but it's an email to me sasquatch island the facebook group by all means join it I also have run the group Seasons of the Sasquatch, which hasn't posted much lately. Sasquatch Island is the main one. And then YouTube, Sasquatch Island or Tom Seawood, T-O-M-S-E-W-I-D. And that's also my email, tom.seawood at gmail.com. Get a hold of me. Um, definitely like to take you on an expedition. you have any questions or you want to buy some West Coast native art, you know, I got lots. I can do custom designs. I got a Sasquatch native design on an arm in Texas, apparently. Guy paid me 50 bucks for that. Nice. So if you go to Sasquatch Islands, go have a bathroom break, 
grab a beverage, sit down, scroll away. I promise you, you'll be like all the other new people that go on there. They'll scroll back five years, liking and loving, commenting. It's very interesting. I don't allow any repetitive posts. So as we see, some guys will post the same thing that was posted six years ago and 10 times since. I don't allow that. I don't do that. I'm the only one who can post on there. I decline pretty much 99% of the people that has to post something because it's repetitive. You can see it on other groups. Sasquatch Island Facebook group is basically the go-to guide how to increase your chances of coming across a Sasquatch. There is all of my bush experience and other Indians and other people's things they've come up that has improved their game. High concentrations of seasonal proteins, how to look for the right shellfish beach. You know, who knew urban Sasquatches were hitting our urban environment at the edge of the forest while we were sleeping? After we turn off the TV and we're farting and snoring, scouts outside the window going, okay, boys, start ransacking because I can hear them farting and snoring up there. That's what they're doing. Why do you think there's so many cases of tree peaking or of window peaking Sasquatches? As Lucas taught me, there's harvesters, hunters, scouts, and rogues. That's the makeup of a Sasquatch society. You do not want to come across a rogue. Those are the ones that were displaced, taken over by a younger, stronger Sasquatch to be the clan dominant. Like any animal gets removed and toppled as the apex head of the pack, it has a choice. It survived the attack, but now it's been toppled as the leader. It can stay at the fringes of the pack and lose its status and always be at the fringes and eat after the pups have eaten. So in other words, they don't get bugger all for food on a kill. Or they can go live on their own. And when you anything goes in, alone in the bush, they get meaner more aggressive i know i do that if i spend over two weeks in the bush i come back and my mom's slapping me going you quit using f word in my house (laughs) (laughs) don't you be giving me no attitude i'll be slapping you upside the head even though you're 55 (laughs) (laughs) so bush is bush so the rogues are the ones that pallades or pallades is dealing with with his missing 411 yes there's thousands of peace people missing vancouver island has three people that we suspect were taken by sasquatches one for sure she was killed by a sasquatch decapitated left arm removed body pummeled no clothing removed her brother was told to keep it off the media yada 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 it was covered up but they still lost a family member from a sasquatch and that was not some five years ago we have a 16 year old kid in vancouver island he's been missing for almost four years and they suspect sasquatch as well and the list goes on northern british columbia uh, numerous people and then of course everything you hear on missing 411 heed their warnings give them respect show them respect they tree knock don't tree knock you turn and get out of there otherwise you might be the new entry in the newest missing 411 book or television show absolutely so sasquatch island is there it's uh all honesty and i should print it out and make it into a book and go on the book circuit but i'm so busy doing other things you'll definitely like the art um get a hold of me best thing is get a hold of me by messenger and then that way i can put 30 or 40 of my pictures of my art on there so if you're interested in my native art i can facebook messenger 40 pictures with 
within five minutes and you get a good perspective of what i create oh and, and all of it's beautiful i've always enjoyed looking at, at your thanks a lot and uh whoever's out there and you want me to come to your conferences get a hold of your local facilitator for the conference and i'll be happy to come out we do a stage performance where i talk and native attire my wife comes out in the chonacha, the Sasquatch mask and regalia, the outfit. And she also does the bukus, which is the little people, the stick people, which yeah, is another yeah. podcast that we're probably going to have to do on that subject. Absolutely. So, but Sasquatch Island, everything's there. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on My Third Eye. And we're going to, we're going to team up a lot, I, I think, because the the first episode I did with uh, uh, Jamie and Jenny King um, blew up blew up for a first time podcaster. Uh, people people loved it, and even people that didn't even really kind of believe they were just like that's some good information. I mean, it's first hand experience, and like I told you from the beginning, I love the First Nations and Native American and Indigenous people. I don't want to call it mythology, but 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 all their history that was has been passed down of creatures, of way of living, you know, it's so informative and so helpful that if we just revert back to that, we wouldn't need half of what we have. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean, and I don't know. It's a beautiful thing, but I want to thank you again for being on, and uh, email me any anything that you want me to add in the show notes. And having said that, we'll call it a wraps. Thank you for joining another episode of My Third Eye. In my language, halakulisla. Go in peace. Yes.